0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story... On Sunday, the country marks one year since Anthony Albanese took to the stage to declare victory. He came to power promising safe change.
2: Tonight, the Australian people have voted for change.
1: But what has the Albanese government achieved during this year? And what are the key challenges ahead? Today... Political reporter Amy Ramikas on one year of the Albanese government. It's Wednesday, the 17th of May.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a
0: thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, you get 30, you get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier.
1: So, Amy, Anthony Albanese is certainly less of a controversial figure than previous prime ministers, I think that's fair to say, but what type of leader has he proven himself to be over the course of this year?
3: I think not Scott Morrison was probably the most immediate (laughs) way that he differentiated himself as prime minister. And he did that by saying, I'm going to be consultative. I'm not going to do giant stunts. I'm going to do my best to listen. And we're going to do calm and steady grown up. And by and large, he has done that. It has only been a year, though. But Anthony Albanese has practice at this because he was the chief negotiator in what is is our political editor Catherine Murphy's favourite parliament, the 43rd parliament, the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd eras. Uh, that was Anthony Albanese's time to shine as a negotiator and he was the one who was doing the deals with the crossbench of independence in the House. So he was the mm. one who was making sure that every single bill that they put up got passed and not a single bill failed on the floor of that parliament which is remarkable when you consider the government didn't have the numbers. The other thing that I would say that Anthony Albanese is doing that is different to Scott Morrison is that by and large he trusts his ministers to run their portfolios he doesn't get involved in their areas so not only is he not swearing himself in to half a dozen (laughs) different portfolios. Important distinction yes. (laughs) He's also letting them run their own race and he's only stepping in when things become particularly stalled. Mm.
1: I want to narrow in on something you mentioned there, which is cooperation across the broader 47th Parliament. We have seen very little cooperation from the coalition to pass legislation, so much so that, you know, anti-Albanese has been calling them the no-alition. Oh, La- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're sick of hearing that by now. But Labor has been able to work with the Greens and independents to pass quite a bit of key legislation. Does that show this parliament is functioning well? overall.
3: Yeah, it's functioning the way that the people wanted it to function, which was that they put in greens and independent MPs to have uh, a safety check, I suppose, and to make sure that the people's will was being followed. And in a lot of cases the people want the government to go further than the legislation that the government is putting up, and that's what the greens and the crossbench are doing. Not everybody is happy all of the time, but bills are changing, there is compromises being made, and I I think when nobody is happy, it's kind of a sign that things are working.
1: One of Albanese's first big moves in government was to push for the minimum wage to rise with inflation, and that was successful. Can you take us back to that time and explain why this was such an important priority for him?
2: At the heart of the election campaign, I was asked whether I would welcome a decision by the Fair Work Commission to increase uh, the minimum wage by just one dollar. And today they have done just that. And when I was asked would I welcome a decision, I said absolutely. And I absolutely welcome today's decision.
3: Everyone was like, oh, no, the world is ending. This is going to be Armageddon. Businesses aren't going to be able to afford it. And what do you know? We're a year on and things are going okay in, the, in that side of things. Mm. And it's the first time I think that workers in probably about 10 years have seen a government come out and say, we support wage increases in line with inflation because your wages have been going backwards. And so that was mm. also a bit of a shift that, oh, there is a new
1: government in town. We've seen that focus continue throughout the past year. How successful has the Albanese government been in continuing their effort in, in raising wages across
3: Australia? I don't think that we've seen everybody get a wage rise, uh, but I think we've started to see a bit of wriggle room where people have got a little bit more space to be able to try and negotiate for wage rises, even in this time of high inflation. So we've seen a real push for care industry, particularly childcare and Aged care. We've seen the government make changes uh, to multi employer bargaining, for instance, to give more power to workers who wouldn't usually have a lot of bargaining power. They can now band together with other similar workers to push for better increases and better conditions. There was that 15% pay increase for aged care workers in the May budget. So we are seeing some shifts. But at the same time, we've got the Reserve Bank saying, oh, no, we can't have too many wage rises because that's going to lead to inflation. You haven't seen the government back away from its rhetoric that it wants to get wages growing and increasing. But I'm not sure whether we're going to see them support wage increases for the minimum wage in line with inflation moving forward because of that fear.
1: Mm -hmm. Another key moment for this government was the passing of Labor's climate bill in August last year, which saw emissions reduction targets of 43% by 2030 and net zero by 2050 enshrined into law. At the time, Albanese said...
2: This is as important a piece of legislation as will come before this parliament. We have a great responsibility to this beautiful island continent that we live on to make sure that we act on climate change. Has the government lived up
1: to this kind of lofty rhetoric on climate.
3: Well, no, they haven't lived up to it because we are still approving coal mines and we're still, you know, approving the Beedaloo Basin and gas is still a pretty major transition fuel for Australia and that's not going anywhere. Mm. But they have added in some extra climate infrastructure that we haven't had, which does show that we're nudging in the right direction. It's just nowhere near as fast as it needs to be or as people would like it to be. So, the safeguard mechanism was a pretty big deal just because Australia didn't have anything like that under the coalition. Yeah, essentially a mechanism to limit emissions
1: from Australia's big polluters that allows them to buy carbon credits if they go over their set limit.
3: Yeah, Australia now has the infrastructure to start doing carbon trading, which is not something that we've had. And once you have the infrastructure, it means that you can start attracting more investment, which means that you can start getting more renewable projects and we can start decoupling from fossil fuels. Right. But no matter what, if the Albanese
1: government is still opening new fossil fuel projects, that's against the scientific advice. It's against what we know will help us reach those targets that they've set. Right, Amy?
3: Absolutely. It's completely against the advice. It's completely against every single climate expert who has been screaming at us for the last 10 years. It's against what uh, a lot of international allies want us to do and it's probably against what most Australian people want us to do as well. So approving coal mines, uh, there's been one that's been approved and Tanya Plibersek, the Environment Minister, she's also moving another couple of projects, I think it's two in New South Wales and one in Queensland, to the next stage. Of the assessment process. And that goes against what the science tells us we need to do to make sure that we hit that 1.5 target.
1: I want to move to another major focus of the Albanese government the voice to parliament. Last month we saw a really significant development with Peter Dutton announcing that the Liberal Party will oppose it and even actively campaign against the voice.
0: Every Australian wants to see a better outcome for Indigenous Australians, but the Prime Minister's divisive Canberra voice is not going to deliver that.
1: Many are concerned that without bipartisan support this referendum will fail later this year. Was this a big Misstep from Labor, one of their biggest missteps in the past year, failing to get the coalition on board with this.
3: I'm not sure whether they could have got the coalition on board with this because Peter Dutton, when he took over as opposition leader, pretty much started running a soft no campaign from that moment and there is no mistaking it. If this referendum goes down, this will be one of the things that marks the Albanese government because they have put so much stock and store into this. It's the first thing that he said when he won Prime Minister that he was going to do.
2: Together we can embrace the Uluru Statement from the Heart. We can answer its patient, gracious call for a voice enshrined in our constitution
3: it was one of his first acts, was going to Gama and saying, I am going to do this. It's something that each minister says pretty much at the beginning of every single big speech that they make, that they are going to be working towards putting a voice to parliament. If it goes down, that obviously is going to mark the Albanese government. But the Mm. if there and the big if is that Voters are different to what they were the last time that we had a referendum, which was in the 90s, over whether or not to become a republic. They're less rusted on, they're a lot younger, they don't necessarily listen to political parties and they vote more on issues and how they feel about things rather than what a political party is telling them to do. And so the fact that we don't have both sides campaigning for yes doesn't necessarily mean that the referendum will fail.
1: Next, as the Albanese government enters its second year in office, what can we expect?
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com/newsadfree. That's amazon.com/newsadfree to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics, so they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
1: Amy, I want to look ahead at what's coming up for the Albanese government. And one of the big challenges ahead is housing. They're currently in a standoff with the Greens on their $10 billion affordable housing fund. Do you think the government will be able to get this over the line in the coming months?
3: I think they will because they have to, because I think if there is no movement on housing, people are going to riot. And this legislation is not necessarily going to change everything. It's only 30,000 homes over the first five years. That's not enough to put a dent into anything. But we are starting to see Jim Chalmers say things like, oh, well, we can also help the states build more public housing." Which would be separate to this. So you are starting to see movement in different areas. The Greens suggested rent freezes quite some time ago, and originally they were laughed at by Anthony Albanese, who was like, We can't do this. This is a free market. One of
2: the things that I won't do, won't do, is promise absolute pixie dust, because that's what that is. <laughs>
3: But lo and behold, suddenly you hear the government saying, oh, we're going to talk to National Cabinet and see what we can do about rent freezes. And you're starting to see governments start to look at holiday homes and all of those vacant homes in Australia and what they can do to start to put them on the market. And that's not because uh, they've suddenly just woken up and gone, oh, this is something that we need to deal with after about 10 years of inaction. It's because of pressure from the Greens and independent MPs who were saying, people have nowhere to live and I think the thing that really encapsulates that is there's a speech that the Greens Griffith MP Max Chandler Mather did on uh, in the house that he put on TikTok and it has gone absolutely gangbusters.
0: A Labor member over there just before told me to grow up grow up and if you think, and if you think that your strategy is to tell everyone in this country it's immature to think that in one of the wealthiest countries in the world we can't put a roof over everyone's head, how dare you?
3: where people are like, yes, somebody is finally speaking for us. And that's really taken a lot of people, politicians and journalists, aback by just how much traction this one speech in parliament has gotten. And it's because it's an issue that people really care about. It's not just a city issue either. It's happening in the regions. It's happening in rural areas. People can no longer afford to rent homes and it's becoming increasingly difficult to even find a share house and if you're on welfare if you're a single parent if you're an older person if you're on minimum wage it's even more difficult and that's why we have people living in their cars crashing on friends lounges uh, living in tents it's no longer good enough and I think the government has finally started to cotton on to the fact that this is going to be an issue that is going to really shake things up for them unless they act.
1: One of the most exciting moments in the next few months will be the launching of the National Anti-Corruption Commission or the NAC, which is starting in July this year. That's going to investigate serious or systemic corrupt conduct across the Commonwealth public sector. Are we about to see a parade of current and former politicians come before the NAC, Amy?
3: Oh, who first? Who would you put up first? So many. (laughs) First against the wall. (laughs) Um, I think that, yes, we are about to see at least uh, a couple of those recent scandals come up in the NAC, and that's only vibes because I have no insight into what the commissioner is going to decide to investigate because people need to remember that this isn't something that's government-controlled, it's independent of government. So anybody can put forward a recommendation or a referral of something that they would like to have looked into, and then the NAC will will decide whether or not that is a case that they progress. But we probably won't know about it because of a deal that Labor did with the coalition when setting this thing up, which is that most things remain secret until, you know, the end. So hearings are gonna be secret unless they're in exceptional circumstances. Mm -hmm. So I think that people want lobbying looked at. They want political donations looked at. They want to know why their ministers or MPs are still being wined and dined by big stakeholders and lobbyists. And that is something, again, that the crossbench is really pushing because they argue, quite rightly, that people need to have faith in their politics and that not that they're sitting around a table with the very people that they're meant to be regulating. So there is absolutely still more this government could do on integrity.
1: Amy, I want to finish on cost of living, which is something that affects most people that would be listening now. In the past few weeks, Labor has announced a suite of changes to Social Security to help those struggling the most, including raising JobSeeker by $40 a fortnight, raising some other payments and changing the eligibility for others. But some of these changes are only really going to marginally lift people out of poverty. We know that. Is the Albanese government a year in, really committing to this mantra that they had coming into to power.
2: And I have shared the two principles that will drive a government that I lead. No one left behind because we should always look after the disadvantaged and the vulnerable.
1: That no one will be left behind.
3: I think anybody who is on any of those fixed payments would say that no, they're not committing to that mantra because we do have a small surplus forecast in this budget. There was probably a little bit more wriggle room in terms of raising the rate and they didn't do it and raising it by $40 a fortnight doesn't do anything. Really, anything to lift people out of poverty. It's half of what is needed. And I think uh, Grogs, our economics columnist, worked out that it took people from 44% below the poverty line to 41% below the poverty line. So that's Mm. not a huge change. But it is indicative of what this government, I think, is trying to do And I say this not saying I agree with it. Um, I do think that it's pretty heartless not to lift people out of poverty, particularly if you are going to use your own origin story as the reason of why you know that welfare is so important and why you know it's so important not to leave people behind.
2: My mother dreamt of a better life for me and I hope that my journey in life inspires Australians to reach for the stars.
3: But I think what this government is doing and what we've seen over the last year is a long-term project where they're doing softly, softly, little change, softly, softly, slightly bigger sort of reform, softly, softly, little change with the idea being that they're in government for two or more terms and that over the course of that time they can make changes that will change the direction of Australia and the way that they think they need to do this is slowly That way they won't spook Middle Australia. So everything is geared to this long-term project, which means that I don't think anyone is going to see the big reforms they maybe hoped to see when this government was elected. And people are looking around and saying, I'm not moving forward, in fact, I'm moving backwards, and I'd like to see that change. And that's going to be the government's challenge. That was political reporter
1: Amy Ramikas. You can often find Amy live blogging politics for The Guardian and you can find all her latest reporting at theguardian.com forward slash profile forward slash Amy Ramikis. Also, keep an eye out this weekend. We'll have more reporting on the one-year anniversary at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria and myself. Sound designed by Daniel Simo. The executive producer is Hannah Parks. I'm Laura Mafiotes. Thanks for listening.